0: Africa, rise and shine
1: (music) Africa, Zorba Africa, Amuka Na Unai
2: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa, Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's Bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa and Figilelingwati. In our top stories on Africa, Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Tunisia sets presidential election runoff for the... October the 13th and Duduzani Zuma set to appear before South Africa's state capture inquiry. In sports news, the Springbok coach makes changes to his team to face Canada. But first up the news with Anne Moussa.
3: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. The United Nations Security Council is scheduled to hold a debate on peace and security in Africa, which the South African Presidency of the body has initiated. Sharon Price Peace reports.
4: ...that South Africa will circulate a draft presidential statement that will be negotiated following the debate. The discussion will focus largely on the Council's role in conflict prevention and mediation in Africa and its cooperation with regional and sub-regional organizations in this regard. The relationship between the African Union and the United Nations is a key theme of the Council's agenda this month. The work of the AU's peace and security architecture in conflict prevention and mediation is likely to be highlighted in Monday's meeting.
3: Suspected militants have killed 20 people on a gold mining site in northern Burkina Faso. Security sources say gunmen went to the Dolmande site in Som province and fired on people working there. Burkina Faso, which was once a pocket of relative calm in the Sahel, has suffered a homegrown insurgency for the past three years. The spillover of militant violence and criminality from neighbouring Mali has worsened the situation. Security forces in Rwanda say they've killed 19 people blamed for an attack in which 14 people were killed on Friday. The police say the attackers killed their victims with knives, machetes and stones. The incident occurred in Musanzi district near the border with the Democratic Republic of Congo. The area is popular with tourists. Mauritius is heading to the polls in a general election a day after the Prime Minister dissolved Parliament. The country holds elections every five years, with the last one in 2014. By law, Mauritius has between 30 and 150 days to organise elections after the Prime Minister dissolved Parliament. The popular tourist destination is one of Africa's most stable nations. The South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has signed into law the Film and Publications Amendment Bill. It criminalizes so-called revenge porn or the distribution of private sexual photos and films without consent. The changes previously came under some scrutiny over concerns that they would be used as a means of censorship for online content. Candice Nolan has the details. The bill aims to introduce a number of changes which include harsher rules to protect children from
5: disturbing and harmful content as well as regulation of the online distribution of films and games. But it's the changes surrounding so-called revenge porn that has some tongues wagging. Under the bill, any person who knowingly distributes private sexual photographs and films without prior consent and with the intention to cause the said individual harm will be guilty of an offence. Punishment includes a possible fine not exceeding 150,000
3: rand and or imprisonment for no more than two years. Academic institutions in West Africa say they will investigate reports of alleged sexual harassment by lecturers and investigation by the BBC has exposed sexual misconduct by multiple university lecturers, including that of the University of Lagos and the University of Ghana. After gathering dozens of testimonies, the broadcaster sent undercover journalists posing as students who recorded events of being sexually harassed and put under pressure by senior lecturers at the institution. The BBC's Mayeni Jones reports. The findings
6: are the result of a year-long investigation including interviews with dozens of students of the University of Lagos and the University of Ghana. The BBC's Africa Eye team also sent female undercover journalists posing as students to the two universities. They were sexually harassed and propositioned by senior lecturers on camera. The University of Lagos says it has a zero-tolerance policy towards sexual harassment and that it would dismiss any staff against whom evidence of wrongdoing was proven. The University of Ghana categorically denies protecting any staff or student who has engaged in sexual harassment and says it will investigate those named in the report.
3: And that's the news headlines at 730 Central African Time.
7: In each and every one of us, there, there is, is a pebble and grave. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that pebbles. Don't
8: ever let somebody
2: tell you. You can't do something. Join
7: me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to to live your your life life by design. Design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose Dose of of Monday Monday motivation motivation. every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life Life by by Design, Design. be the architect architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the
9: African African perspective.
2: Tunisia's Electoral Commission has announced the country's presidential election runoff will take place on October the 13th, despite calls to postpone the vote by the party of a jailed frontrunner. The second round of the vote pits Nabil Karoui with his candidates, Naboui Karoui, who has been in detention against a retired law professor Kays said the success of the two candidates in beating established political leaders, including the prime minister, during the first round, was seen as a sharp rebuke to Tunisia's ruling elite after years of economic discontent. Kumbela Mounjalele spoke to say Dr Seba Sobi, member of Tunisia's Electoral Commission.
10: The challenge is um, uh, like uh, there is uh, the timing because everything was uh, precipitated as uh, our presidential election was supposed to be next month in uh, November, but uh, due to, to the death of uh, our uh, previous president, Beji Caid Sebsi, while he's still president before the end of uh, his mandate, so they had to precipitate the date and make it in October, so there is a timing. Problem where candidate uh, did not had enough time to prepare for the campaign. Uh, the other issue, I think, is the the two uh, people who were uh, had the most votes on the first uh, uh, election. One of them is currently in prison, so um, which make maybe uh, unfair the campaign of uh, the both uh, uh, candidates because maybe he was not having uh, as he is in jail currently. So he was he did not get was given uh, the chance to make his campaign as he maybe wished.
11: Uh, can you just give us an update in terms of uh, the appeal? Because we know that uh, they have appealed their detention. What is the latest with regards to their appeal to be
10: released? It's still not yet uh, released, so the appeal still going on. But there is no final decision on raising him yet or not. What perhaps. is the
11: mood like in Tunisia in the run-up to this runoff?
10: I think people, everyone, was very surprised um, because of uh, the two names, uh, because no one did expect this final at all. Like uh, the name that we people was talking about, all of them came in third, fourth, fifth, and sixth place. So it was not really expected that we have those two names one of them will become our president. So there is a feeling of a little bit surprise, but now it's went over. Now people are more focused on choosing the one that they have to choose between the two of them. Is no more a list of 26 candidates. Now there is two. We know that um, that
11: this uh, Saturday, the legislative elections will be a precursor to the runoff. Can you just tell us in terms of the preparations for the legislative elections, would
10: you say it's all systems to go? Yeah, because the, the system for the election in was already set out uh, previously. So the preparation, yes, is done. And uh, yes, there is no surprise, I think. And uh, people are uh, aware with uh, the new procedure for election in Tunisia and it's under uh, dependent uh, uh, company. Yes, for more clarity and for more transparency. This is at the root of democracy. So yeah, everything is prepared.
2: That's Dr. Sabir Sobi, member of Tunisia's Electoral Commission, on the line, speaking to Kumbele Munchelele. Eritrea, in the Horn of Africa, has had a turbulent history. An Italian colony until the 1940s, it was annexed by Ethiopia, and there were three decades of fighting until it gained independence in 1991. Trouble with Addis fled again in 1998 when the two armies went to war over a border dispute. A final peace between the neighbours was only agreed in 2018, when a UN arms embargo and EU trade sanctions were also lifted. But access for foreign journalists to Eritrea is still severely restricted. The BBC's Hannah Zerast. Zerastion had rare permission to travel to the strategic port city of Massawa. She begins her report on a trip controlled by the Eritrean authorities in the capital, Asmara.
7: Every morning, bells from the Roman Catholic Church and prayers from the Al-Qulfah Al-Rashidin Mosque wake up Asmara. Uh, it's Along Haranet Street in Asmara, I met people with shared values of religious tolerance, social justice, and economic change, just like the people of Ethiopia. I find them welcoming, but also conscious about what they say to a stranger. They don't allow anyone to recall them. I'm proud to be Eritrean. The words I'm proud to be Eritrean and I love Eritrea" are spoken frequently and emboldened on T-shirts. Italian architecture dominates the city. Palaces, villas, churches, mosques, gas stations and restaurants are a constant reminder of the Italian colony. (laughs) Spaghetti and pizza are the main dishes in the restaurants. The young people are in Western clauses and speak to me enthusiastically about what they will learn on national services at the compulsory Sawa military camp the men smoke freely while women confidently walk along the palm-lined avenues. but 115 kilometers east from these clean orderly streets of asmara is the port city of massawa it was the capital of the italian colony a rich business center but was devastated by the war during ethiopia's annexation we are granted rare permission from the authorities to go there (coughs) As we go closer to Massawa port, the altitude decreases and the temperatures go up. Soon, we see the ravages of three decades of bloody civil war. Decayed buildings in classic Italian design are riddled by bullets. Some of the people we met believe that the government has slowed down on much-needed rebuilding the city. The neglect is a living reminder of the price Eritrea paid for the war with Ethiopia. The country gained independence in 1991 with 7 years of peace before the border war broke out. Head engineer of mapping for the city, Lieutenant Colonel Getachew Marhazen says they are steadily making progress.
12: In Masawa there are free zones as well as industrial, administrative and resident zones. They all demand reconstruction. We have a plan, but it will be done step by step. In the past, for the country was under sanction, no one was confident to trade with. Now things are changed. Investments are open. People are coming to observe potential areas of Eritrea. We trust to see changes in short. We need a great deal of hard work, collaboration and tools to use this resource. And we are working on this. The area is clean. There are over 90 fish varieties. All these open up roads to tourism and attract investment. For this, we need power, water and road construction. Right now, the government is rebuilding the road from Massawa to North Ethiopia, and Ethiopia is doing the same from the side of Asab.
7: A commitment of the 2018 peace deal between Eritrea and Ethiopia was to normalize trade, transport and communication. Part of the plan is the construction of a main road that would connect to neighboring Ethiopia. The 90-kilometer road which is still under construction is funded by EU and it is hoped that once completed, it will revive the once vibrant and thriving port. Meanwhile, much of this former colonial city remains in ruins, while its 60,000 inhabitants quietly
2: wait for change. That report by the BBC's Hannah Zerastion in Eritrea. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms.
5: On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One. And YouTube, on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective.
2: More than 18 million US dollars was paid to the Gupta Linked Astina's accounts between 2012 and 2016. This is according to the Free State Agriculture Department's monthly reports that were read out at the State Capture Commission in Johannesburg. Former head of department Peter Tabete was testifying about his role. In the controversial dairy farm project in Freder in South Africa's Free State Province. He was one of the eight people who were arrested in connection with the alleged theft of more than $16 million of public funds allocated to the project, which was promoted as an initiative to benefit black emerging farmers. Nomaliza Mandela has more. The commission's evidence leader, advocate
5: Tabashe, gave details of all the monies with dates paid into Estina by the Free State Agriculture Department. Some of the payments were made days apart. On the 3rd of May uh, 2013, it received 19 million and 50 thousand. On the 20th of December... 2013, it received the amount of 29,950,000. Then on the 25th of July 2014, just before you cancelled that contract, they received 30 million. After cancellation on the 8th of May 2015, they were paid 60 million. And the last payment they received was on the 5th of May 2016, and that was 46,252,652 rand. After being pressed by the Commission Chair, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, Tabete conceded that it was a mistake not to allow the National Treasury to investigate Estina. Judge Zondo said that Tabete seemed more interested in protecting Estina than ensuring that taxpayers' money was spent well.
8: Why don't you give them permission? The clause says Estina must get permission from you in order to disclose certain information. So why don't you give them? I'm trying to understand what it is that you would have seen as a problem at that time because it seems to me these are not people who are coming from outside government. They are part of government.
1: I agree with you, Che. Yes. Uh, at that time, my, my, my thinking was different from what... If, if, if you were to come to me now, I would have said go and industry. Yes. At that time, my, my, my understanding was that uh, I'm afraid of giving permission
5: Tabete also confirmed that Estina was not only the implementing agent and manager of the project, but that it also monitored its own performance.
8: That Estina shall monitor its performance in the delivery of the project and shall implement appropriate monitoring and management procedures in respect of the project. Why why was Estina to be the one to monitor its own performance?
1: Uh, What we intended here was to say to Estina, you must have your own internal monitoring processes. Uh, Our responsibility is to monitor compliance. Mm. Uh, So hence we have said, uh, do the monitoring of the implementation of the project, we'll come and monitor compliance.
2: That report by Nomalizo Mandela. Meanwhile, the son of South Africa's former President Jacob Zuma will be expected to explain his role as an alleged fixer for the Gupta family at the State Capture Commission today. Former Deputy Finance Minister Mgibisi Jonas and former ruling ANC MP Feiki Mentor testified to the commission that their meetings with the family in 2015 and 2010 respectively were set up by Zuma. Former Minerals Minister Ngwakora also spoke of Zuma's efforts to assist the Gupta's mining interests. Busi Chimombe reports.
13: Duduzani's Zuma was first mentioned at the commission by former Deputy Finance Minister Gabisi Jonas as the person who took him to the Gupta Saxon World Home in October 2015. They travelled together after a Ned like meeting in Rosebank to the family's compound.
6: When Mr Duduzana arrived at Hyatt Hotel, We had a brief discussion. He appeared pretty nervous and spoke in very vague terms. He said nothing of substance, except to say that his father, the then President Jacob Zuma, liked me. After a while, I indicated that I was under pressure, under time pressure. He said that the place was crowded and that he had important matters to discuss, but that he wanted other people to join the discussion.
13: Those people were the Gupta brothers who Jonas testified, alternatively tried to induce him financially and then threaten him to accept the job of finance minister then held by Nkantla Nene. He said they told him accepting their offer would be worth his while.
6: He also said that if I worked with them, I would become very rich and that he could immediately offer me 600 million. He pointed at Mr. Duduzani and said that they made, made him a billionaire and that he had bought a house in
13: Dubai. Zuma's lawyers subsequently cross-examined Jonas on his evidence, but it will be the first time that the younger Zuma will present his version of events to the inquiry. In her testimony, former ANC MP Fekie told the commission that Duduzani approached her on an Emirates flight en route from South Africa to China via Dubai and introduced her to two men, Who she subsequently learned were Rajesh and AJ Gupta.
5: I recognized him from media clips with his uh, short red locks at that time. He introduced himself to me and introduced another person. He was with two people. He said that um, I was doing a sterling job in parliament, he was glad to meet me. He was with two people. The two gentlemen that um, he was with were Indian looking.
13: Mentor said that the brothers at a meeting following the trip offered her the job of Public Enterprises Minister if she discontinued the SAA flight to India. She says she refused. Duduzani was again mentioned in the testimony of former Mineral Resources Minister Nwako Ramaklodi. Ramaklodi said former President Jacob Zuma explained his ties with the Gupta family on the basis of his family.
1: In the National Executive Chair, who would raise this issue with the president. would say to you, this same relationship of yours with these guys is toxic. Why don't we end it? And we can talk as high and as loud as we like. When we finish, when he close the meeting, he says, those people are my friends because they helped my children. When I was a personal non-grata, they helped to design, they helped Edward, they gave them jobs when no one wanted me. So what are you asking of me?
13: Ramatlodi added that Tuduzani sought his assistance with an issue pertaining to the Gupta's mining interests.
1: He demanded to see me, and uh, I said I'll see him on Monday because I wanted to understand what the issue would be. It wasn't a friendly call. It was something which required me to exercise some caution. So I asked the department officials, what could it be that this boy wanted to see me about? They showed me pictures of people who were working unprotected in the Gupta-owned mine. So the department has got the power to suspend the operations of the mine, so he wanted to see me about that.
13: Ramatlotti says he, however, never bet Duduzani, but instead met with his father to clarify that Duduzani's concerns would need to go through normal departmental processes. Duduzani, in his testimony, is likely to shed more light into the inner workings of the Gupta family's business interests and their ties with state departments
2: that report by Busi Chemombe in Johannesburg Tune in to Vision 2030 with Una Pateke
5: and Tabilia Masugu, the new show revolving around the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030.
7: Every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m. Central African time. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Channel Africa One,
2: hashtag Vision 2030. South Africa's President Sul Ramaphosa has urged that a spirit of service to the people be in engendered within South Africa's public service. Ramaphosa was speaking to officials at the head office of the Home Affairs Department in the capital in Pretoria. He emphasized the importance of the department, saying all South Africa's citizens have to deal with it throughout their lives and that it enhances the country's democracy and security. The president also lauded the department's efforts at modernizing Busi reports.
13: Known previously as the Department of Horrors, President Cyril Ramaphosa says there has been significant improvement in the performance of home affairs. He said, however, there is still much work to be done to tackle the Department's challenges and called on the officials to be change agents for a better country. I
8: would like you to focus on precisely that because we need to have an ethos, an ethos that says to each one of us that yes, we're going to embrace change, we're going to engender renewal, we're going to serve the people of our country based on the principle of Batupeli, putting our people
13: first and uh, forgoing everything that is wrong, inappropriate or corrupt. President Ramaphosa met with the department's top management and was also taken to various departments, including the call centre, and given a demonstration of the department's e-visa system scheduled to be launched next month. It will enable potential visitors to South Africa anywhere in the world to be able to apply for a visa online. Validation of the visa will take place when they arrive in the country. Ramaphosa says the e-visa will assist the economy.
8: They have been saying to us, improve your visas so that you can attract more tourists. Uh, They were saying, and this was also told to me by the President of China who said, uh, improve your visas regime and improve your security or your safety. Many Chinese will come as tourists to South Africa. And uh, many other leaders have said the same thing. Finally, we are at a stage now where we are going to implement the e-visa system which is going to put us on par with many other countries in the world and also modern economies."
13: The visit to Home Affairs follows the recent attacks against foreign nationals and locals in Gauteng. An immigration system, often described as dysfunctional, is blamed by many as contributing to the influx of illegal immigrants into the country. Deputy Home Affairs Minister Jabulon Zuza says there are plans to strengthen the system which have been shared with President Sarah Ramaphosa at Friday's meeting.
12: Systems to make sure that people who enter the country are people who are legitimate to enter the country. But not only that, we are looking at ways on how to enhance our inspectorate uh, systems to make sure that those who are already here in the country illegal who are able to detect them, find them, and then send them back to the countries where they're supposed to go to. But uh, we promote, uh, you know, uh, working with other countries as a country, and that is why we are today uh, going to be demonstrating the e-visa system. Thing, which means it will make it easier for people to come through the country in, in a legal way.
13: Efforts to strengthen the department will be challenging as they take place against a backdrop of budget constraints and thinly spread human resources.
2: That report by Busi Chumombe in Johannesburg.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zola Africa, amuka na unae.
2: It was tough talk at the launch of the October Transport Month campaign on the N3 highway in Heidelberg in South Africa's Gauteng province at the weekend. President Sil Ramaphosa decried the vast human and economic cost of fatal accidents on the country's roads and vowed that steps would be taken to curb the carnage. The president was joined at the event, the 14th, that happens in this month since 2005 by Transport Minister Fikile Mbalula and Gauteng Premier David Makura. Busi Chimambe reports.
13: The figures are daunting. Approximately 14,000 lives lost annually on the country's roads and cost to the economy estimated at 147 billion rands a year. President Cyril Ramaphosa told those attending the October transport campaign launch that much of the carnage is needless and what is required is a change in road user attitudes and behavior.
8: Safer roads do not begin with more police or greater enforcement. We will have safer roads when we begin to take into account of the interests of all road users such as pedestrians, other drivers, passengers, or cyclists when we embark on our journeys. And safer roads begin with checking our vehicles, keeping them off the road if they are not roadworthy.
13: Ramaphosa has vowed that lawlessness will no longer be tolerated and amongst other interventions harsher measures will be taken to curb drunkenness.
8: And we are going to change the law now to ensure that we actually bring down we bring down the, the threshold so that those who are used to drinking and driving must know that we are now going to be very firm. We are going to take strong action because it is people who drink and drive who kill people. And we must stop the killing on our roads through people who are drinking and driving.
13: The President's tough talk was echoed by Transport Minister Fikile Balula, who warned reckless and negligent drivers of the imminent implementation of the administrative adjudication of road transport offences, or ARTO.
1: The law that you have signed, President ARTO, is going to introduce the demerit system. You break the law, you will lose points to the point of losing your driver's license. And that's what is going to happen. president will sign that, the proclamation, and will have the law in full effect from June uh, next year. So we mean business. 365 Waya Waya Ukai
13: Gauteng Premier David Makura says that Operation Ukai started in the province on the 31st of July this year to crack down on crime will be focused to deal with general lawlessness on the roads.
14: We have launched this campaign Ukai which deals with law enforcement in all respects this month, transport month we are going to escalate To focus on traffic offenses and we will be there we will be counted when we enforce arto we will be there when we make sure that our roads are safer we will be there when we track down those who are committing traffic offenses and to ensure that ours is a law-abiding society
13: the president also spoke of the october transport month's aims of getting people to use public transport to reduce South Africa's carbon footprint and bring people together. He committed to the extension of transport infrastructure, including the launch of three bus rapid transport systems in Ekuruleni, Polokwane, and Durban.
2: That report by Moussi Mombe in Johannesburg. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
3: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the United Nations Security Council is scheduled to hold a debate on peace and security in Africa. Security forces in Rwanda say they've killed 19 people blamed for an attack in which 14 people were killed on Friday. And academic institutions in West Africa say they will investigate reports of alleged sexual harassment by lecturers. And investigation by the BBC has exposed sexual misconduct by multiple university lecturers. Those are the stories making headlines.
5: The Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum (AWIF), together with the Technical Center for Agricultural and Rural Cooperation and African Women in Agribusiness Network, are hosting a Value for Her training workshop on Leading Agribusinesses for Success workshop from the 29th to the 30th of October this year in Cape Town, South Africa. This event, entitled Leading Agribusinesses for Success, provides women in agribusiness to strengthen their enterprises in Africa. Join women selected and invited from across the African continent with smart skills in business leadership and management for growth through targeted skills building and strengthen your capacity to harness and market opportunities continentally and globally. Beat the rush and pre-register at registration desks in front of Hall 8 and 9 at Cape Town International Convention Center. Channel Africa will be there. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
2: Khoi and SAN leaders in South Africa's Northern Cape province have urged President Silva Maposa to sign the traditional and Khoi SAN leadership bill into law as soon as possible. They were speaking on the sidelines of a meeting between the leaders and Deputy President David Mabuza in Achenes near Uppington in the Northern Cape. Neo Bodumela reports.
7: The traditional and Khoi San Leadership Bill seeks to officially recognize and San leaders and their communities. It also allows for and San leaders to participate in the House of Traditional Leaders. The bill was passed in the National Assembly in February but is yet to be signed into law. and San leaders say the wait is frustrating.
0: Just because of we don't have a legislation, we are not equally benefiting from government. What we are saying is hampering us. We've becoming frustrated because it is too long. We can't wait longer so that we can enjoy uh, and also our communities can, can enjoy the benefits
7: uh, of that traditional uh, Koyensanba. Following his meeting with the leaders, Deputy President David Mabuza urged them to be more patient.
8: They are going to be working with us. Their participation in their in the traditional leaders council, it was a a sore point, and we are sure that as soon as the president signs into to lower the bill, they will be able to participate. So, once you get the bill passed, all those matters are addressed.
7: The Khoi and San traditional leaders hope that the signing of the bill will also pave the way for their languages to be officially recognized. I'm Neo Budumela in Akaneis
2: near Uppington in the Northern Cape. South Africa's Democratic Alliance leader Musi Maimani says he will not make any pronouncements on candidates that are contesting the position of the party's Federal Council Chairmanship. This after former DA leader and Western Cape Province Premier Helen Ziller announced her decision to contest the position. Maimani was speaking in Mzinoni Township outside Bethal in the Mpumalanga province, where he was on a campaign trail ahead of a by-election. Mtobisim Kalipi reports.
11: Maimane says he has not spoken to Zila regarding her candidacy for the position of chairperson of the party's federal council. Zilla announced her candidacy against former Nelson Mandela Metro Mayor, Athol Trollip and members of the National Assembly, Mike Walters and Thomas Walters. The election will take place towards the end of this month. Maimane also says
12: DA members will decide. We've got four people who are standing. She is one of them, Athol Trollip is another, Mike Walters, Mike uh, Thomas Walters. These are candidates that will stand. Let them stand, let the delegates decide what kind of future they want. It's an important position in the organization. And I think the people of the DA will pronounce themselves uh, at the federal council, I'm not uh, at all going to pronounce on the candidature of either of the candidates. My focus is on that vision. My leadership has been about that. I've moved the DA into communities such as this one. We are committed to the future of this country. And I want a candidate who wins to be focused on those things, not a candidate who opposes those
11: things. maimane also pointed out that there are certain individuals who are creating divisions within the DA.
12: When you want to bring change in an organization, and you change an organization, to focus on the future, to focus on this dream of non-racialism, to focus on this dream of a South Africa for all, a country where there's justice and where there's jobs, there'll be people who oppose, naturally. and. Uh, What we are dealing with is not the divisions in the party. We are dealing with a few people who are creating distractions. During
11: the campaign in Ward 28, some residents of Amzinone Township raised concerns about inadequate service delivery in the area. They blamed the government municipality of failing to deliver better services, such as fixing the sewage system.
5: Service
14: delivery is an issue here. The municipality is not fixing the road or the sewage system.
1: The municipality
14: is not doing anything to help the community. Unemployment is very high. And also the municipality is only hiring people that are connected to a certain political party. The
11: by-elections will be held on Wednesday. This after a DA councillor resigned. I'm Toby Kalipi in Petal. <laughs>
7: Gateway to Africa is our entertaining and educational tourism, travel and business show. Join us every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African Time as we explore the tourism landscape in Africa. Make a date with Gateway to Africa every Wednesday at 10 hours Central
2: African Time. South Africa's Free State Province Sports, Arts and Culture, MEC, Dimakato Mahasa, says this year's edition of the Mangawung African Cultural Festival, Makufe, will be a top-drawer event. Mahasa says more local artists will be given the opportunity to showcase their talents. The 10-day festival is built on a foundation of incredible live performances across hip-hop, jazz, divas, gospel and main festival concerts. Tidiso Makhwane has more.
14: Mawakufi is growing bigger and better. It's attracting travellers from across the country. For 22 years, Mawakufi has been one of the leading cultural celebrations. Free State Premier Tombeda says they have upped the anthem.
5: The economy, the spin-up economy of the province is just increased. Everybody is excited, guest houses are full, and we are not doing something that we don't know. It's almost 22 years. It means we know now what is going to happen.
14: In previous years, Many Free State musicians have complained about being excluded. Free State Sports, Arts and Culture MEC Dimakato Mahasa says all that is now water under the bridge.
5: It's still the same, even though we are bringing more local artists. Remember, if we don't take care of our own artists, no one will take care of them. That's what I'm bringing you this year.
14: Gospel artist Toko Nogabe, says they will hold nothing back in their quest to wow revelers.
5: Every year,
7: I bring to my audience, my Kufa audience gospel, a different repertoire. So, this is a surprise, I'm not going to tell you. Come on the 6th of October, which is on Sunday, and see for yourself. So every year, it's something different.
14: Meanwhile, security has been beefed up to ensure an incident-free event security director Lerato
8: We have actually employed strategies in as far as the safety and security is concerned. We are also warning our patrons or the revelers who are coming to Makufa to enjoy the festivities with us during the period of Makufa, to ensure that they are vigilant and to actually obey or be disciplined in as far as the conditions that are put there uh, for, for their sake of their safety.
14: The festival will end next week Sunday with the Makufa Cup involving PSL giants, Bloomfontein Celtic and Kaiser Chiefs. I'm Siriso Mathwani in Bloomfontein.
2: South African cultural enthusiast and musician Mbuso Kosa returns to the Witz Theatre Hall in Johannesburg to stage the fourth Amahubo Symposium on the 13th of this month, launched in 2015 as a platform to preserve heritage and encourage Africans to stay in love with who they are and where they come from. The symposium will see jazz musician, pianist, and composer Mduduzi Makatini present his view on music and healing. Kosa explains.
4: Among well, uh, the songs of the old, um, they can be traced as far as 1600 century. In the olden days, uh, people used to have these songs as family songs, as prayers of the family, as prayers of the nation. So I decided after the research has in doing with I think, it's a pattern that we teach our kids of this music simply because kids are now hooked on uh, American music and other styles like R&B, but they know nothing about who they are. So uh, this is why I decided to relate to this particular annual event called the Mavobot Symposium every year in partnership with the Red School of Art.
5: Tell us about the artists that will be participating in this event. I have
4: invited uh, Mr. Tuzo Makatini, who is a producer, a songwriter, and also a jazz pianist. And also invited to Mr. Chamban Giza, who is also a godfather too of, of many uh, musicians who are doing jazz and other styles in African style. And I also have Zawa Diyamu, who is an artist from North of Canada and Emangeli, She will be presenting the works of Princess Makoko with uh, an instrument called... And, and uh, Mr. Baba Utolani will be presenting as well from the Department of Education, presenting the, the sub-aspect of the Zulu dance. that not just entertainment, but there are deeper meanings to these notions among people who will be participating. I also have a lady by the name of Kolega Shana. She will be presenting a paper on Princess Makogo. As well, she just finished her PhD at that. So the we'll lot that will be happening. And then after the presentation of the awards, we will have the handing over of the Order of Heritage Award to posthumously Busim Shawo, Mkashi Mkashi Enjoufu. Some kids will also be honored. Master Fini will also be honored on this day. So it's going to be a beautiful day. Then later, after all this, we will have a concept now to demonstrate all the things that were presented earlier.
5: Now, how important is uh, an event such as this symposium in uh, the preservation of cultural heritage? It's
4: us who give names to things mountains, rivers, roads, uh, etc. So, it is very important that we safeguard heritage so that we will be able to teach. The next generations of who they are. So, if we fail at this stage to make sure that we ascribe value to our culture and heritage and, and how the history is being told, then we won't be able to correct it because there's a lot of uh, things that are twisted within our culture. As a result, we have two different communities as Africans. We have those who go to church who want nothing to do with their culture, and we have those who believe in their culture who want nothing to do with those who are going to church. So now we need to find a common ground as Africans to see what is that brings us together as Africans that has nothing to do with religion, but has nothing to do with us as human beings. So I think the preservation of culture and its safeguarding is very is very important because heritage and culture is the only thing that can bring tourists to this country because they are hot here to see our buildings and beaches but they are here to know more about our culture. Experience Our lifestyle—that that
5: is our culture. Would you say that music plays a major role in actually pushing and promoting one's heritage because we've seen how young people warm up to music more than other things in terms of, you know, recognizing uh, their cultural heritage?
4: Music is is, is a natural art and it is the only art form that can make an intangible heritage felt. Because we can narrate history only one, people will fall asleep. But if we sing, people get to listen and enjoy Once they're enjoying the end. So this is why people like our mama, Maria Makaba were instrumental during the opposite times in mobilizing people. So heritage can also be used as a tool to mobilize
2: people. That's Mbuso Kosa, South African musician and cultural enthusiast on the line speaking to Tutungubeni. The Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship
5: Forum (AWIF), together with the Technical Centre for Agricultural and Rural Corporation and African Women in Agribusiness Network, are hosting a Value for Her training workshop on leading agribusinesses for success workshop from the 29th to the 30th of October this year in Cape Town, South Africa. This event, entitled Leading Agribusinesses for Success, provides women in agribusiness to strengthen their enterprises in Africa. Join women selected and invited from across the African continent with smart skills in business leadership and management for growth through targeted skills building, and strengthen your capacity to harness and market opportunities continentally and globally. Beat the rush and pre-register at registration desks in front of hall eight and nine at Cape Town International Convention Center. Channel Africa will be there. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
2: Our sports update up next with Figuilele
0: In our sports update this hour, we begin with athletics. World Athletics governing body IWAF president Sebastian Coe says the competitions in Doha were extraordinary on the level of athletes' performance, despite challenging conditions at the beginning of the event. Adding that no one should limit aspirations to take the championships to new locations. Co speaking at the news conference at the final day of the IAAF World Athletics Championships at the Khalifa International Stadium says athletes appear to be in good condition for their events
3: I think nobody
4: is remotely suggesting that the road conditions weren't particularly in the beginning challenging we haven't dealt with any severe um, cases Uh, they were all manageable uh, and yeah it was a challenge And the top athletes did come here, well conditioned. They understood what those challenges were. And in large part, I think, have competed extraordinarily well.
0: Local organizing committee vice president Dakhlan Al-Ahmad downplayed the remarkably low attendance at the event, suggesting poor attendances were an issue for championships being staged anywhere in the world.
8: To fill a stadium is not is a challenge for everybody. So we have seen this. This challenge is not in this world championship. In all, almost all over the championship, you know, this challenge continue, and and there are all, always plan B and A, and, you know, to to continue. We we are happy that we reached this point.
0: In football news in England, Pep Guardiola considered Manchester City were well below their best as the English Premier League Championship suffered a shock 2-0 defeat against Wolves yesterday that left them eight points behind leaders Liverpool. Guardiola's side were rocked by two late goals from Wolves' winger Adama Traore at the Etihad Stadium. And City boss Guardiola says his treble winners lacked their usual sharpness and pay the price for letting nerves get the better of them with a second defeat of the season.
4: When you win a game, you have to think another one. And when you lose, of course, now international break, we have to reflect, you know, go to the national team and come back. So we are in October. So let's try to come back on our side, recover
0: the people and, and try to, start to win games. Despite City dominating possession, the visitors had the better chances and should have took their lead early in the first half. Wolves manager Nuno Espirito Sandu has praised the efforts of Adama Traore's finishing.
7: It's something that's improving, is improving. Everybody remembers Adama. He's special because he's very fast. He's unique in that. And we have to take advantage. Putting Matt was to try and stabilize the defense in search for a
10: moment of talent that Raul had and Adama did well.
0: And finally, tennis news, Austrian top seed Dominic Thiem overcame a sluggish start and clawed his way back from a set and a breakdown to beat Greece's Stefano Tsitsipas 3-6, 6-4 and 6-1 in the final of the China Open in Beijing yesterday. The win secured Thiem's fourth title of the year after triumphs at Indiana, Wales, Barcelona and Austria. Thiem was forced to dig deep and come back from a set down in the semifinal against Karen Kachanov broke the five times while dropping serve three times to lift his first ever title in asia
7: honestly i think it was one of uh, the best matches i've ever played um be, uh, aggressive game style and way more winners than unforced errors i think because stefanos he made the game so fast i was struggling to keep up in the beginning and then myself i got more aggressive and uh Well, set two and especially set three, I think I cannot play better than that. And so it was an amazing
1: week for me.
0: That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, so
1: Africa.
2: Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and shine at the sour. Tunisia sets presidential election runoff for October 13th, and Duduzane Zuma set to appear before South Africa's state capture inquiry. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Kabu, producers Punguzoramagadza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Satima Bia Benjamin with a song titled Winnie Mandel.
9: Um, Winnie Mandela Beloved heroine Mm -hmm. Winnie Mandela Spirited soldier Life on the line Mother those unshared tears the endless days alone